Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for Concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-Centered Leader in Confessional Broadcasting, Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. Hi, and welcome to Concord Matters. I am Pastor Sean Smith, your host here today. I am the pastor of St. Paul's in Wine Hill, Illinois, and also of Emmanuel in West Point. Uh, those are outside of Steelville and Campbell Hill, Illinois, and Southern Illinois. And uh, this is a show where we seek to be of one mind, that is the mind of Christ Jesus, especially as given to us in his holy word and has been the confession of faithful Christians throughout history and remains our faithful Christian confession as Lutherans today. And so we're going to dig into this book of Concord and our Christian confession and the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. And I have a great group of pastors here uh, to talk about these things with me uh, today. I have here in the studio with me, Pastor Tim Sims, who is the senior pastor of St. John's in Chester, Illinois, and also Pastor Tyler Hopmeyer, who is a pastor on candidate status, which means he's currently a pastor without a call. Um, so uh, keep him in your prayers out there. He and his uh, lovely wife, uh, Melissa, and, uh, and uh, that they may soon have a, a congregation to serve faithfully in the uh, Lutheran Church, Missouri Center. And then also on the phone with us today is Pastor David Weiss, who is the pastor of Concordia in Evansville, Indiana. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Good to be here. Good to be with you. And uh, we are picking up today in the uh, Apology of the Augsburg Confession, uh, Article 4 for some, and for others, uh, it's Article 5. It depends on how they number it in the Concordia Reader's Edition, which we are using here, uh, published by Concordia Publishing House and available there. It is marked as Article 5, but it is an extension of Article 4, the uh, great article, uh, the chief article of Christian doctrine on justification. And um, we are picking up there. Uh, in Article 5 with line 85, or in other numbering systems, it may be line 206, paragraph 85, or 206 there. Uh, that's where we're picking up today. But before we get into reading this, I uh, kind of want to overview. Uh, we've been covering this article for a while, uh, if you're a regular listener to the show. Uh, but it is very detailed for a very important reason that this really is where the church stands or falls. And uh, for an overview of that, uh, I'm going to throw it to uh, Pastor Weiss there on the phone uh, to let us know where has this article been, uh, where are we at now, and uh, perhaps maybe a little bit of where we're going. Pastor Weiss, you want to go ahead and take that? Thanks, Pastor Smith. Yeah, the, um, the section that we've been looking at, um, it, I think it's important that we, there's so many wonderful lines and paragraphs that we look at, we can really um, dissect it and enjoy the pieces of it, but, but the process um, that is given to us in this document is as beautiful almost as the theology. Uh, and there are nine parts to this, this part that we've been looking at, this section that we've been looking at, and it's a process um, to help us understand how to defend our confession of faith. Um, and as I said, there's nine parts. The first is a, a clear statement of our confession. That has to come first. What do we believe? 
Second, it's um, the church fathers what have and the scriptures themselves, what have they said? And look how they affirm this teaching um, that, that we confess. Um, the third part, which is the part we're on right now, is a reply, um, because this is a, a defense, uh, a reply to the adversary's arguments. Um, here's what they have said um, against our confession, and, and, um, and, and it, then we have a reply to it. That's what we're in the middle of. Uh, the fourth part is a pass, uh, the passages um, from the scriptures that um, our adversaries um, have misused and an explanation of why it's a misuse. Uh, number five, the adversaries, uh, um, he points out that the adversary's teaching is based on reason and the law uh, and why that's a problem. Number six, um, and I think this is a really important one, the results of the adversary's teachings. This is why this isn't okay. Here's what comes of it. Um, and then kind of it gets to a review where in, in number part seven, it's uh, salvation is by God's mercy. Just a reminder of that, of course. Uh, number eight. Uh, a few additional arguments that are made against our confession. And then finally, the, the last part is a, a summary or conclusion. Thank you very much. That That is a wonderful overview. Uh, well stated there. I, and I, I like how you especially lay out there that uh, our, our article really begins right there with a clear st- statement of this is what we believe, right? This is what we're teaching in our churches. This is our confession. Confession means agreement. We've talked about this on the show before, uh, or the same say. This is what the scriptures say, and so that makes sense then that that's the next part then as well. You know, this is what the scriptures say, and and our adversaries, as as you pointed out there, are really uh, um, the, the church in Rome at the time, uh, because we are called heretics at the time. Lutherans were called heretics. And so we're, we're making a, a defense of what we believe, teach, and confess in our churches. And, uh, and we're pointing even to the church fathers, the, the same people that they agree with, and they agree with scriptures. And so we're showing them from scripture, this is where we believe what we believe on this. And then as you well pointed out, the section we're in now is that third part. Uh, we're replying to their arguments against us. We presented the Augsburg Confession, that clear statement of our confession, and it's really one of the shortest articles in the Augsburg Confession, Article 4. And then it turns into the longest thing in the whole Book of Concord, almost uh, in uh, the Apology, because uh, there was disagreement there. And so uh, we're replying to the arguments that they made against us. Well stated. Brothers in the studio here, any comments to add to this? It's a wonderful summary. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it, it is the struggle of the human heart in, 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 in our relationship with our Creator, and uh, uh, this confession speaks to how we are reconciled to God by Christ yeah. in no other way. Yeah, I mean, this is really, we. it seems like we beat a dead horse and talk about this uh, for better part of three months now or so. But it, And I feel like I talk about it in every sermon because I do. It really yeah, is the absolutely. most important thing. Um, you know, that uh, uh, justification, of course, means to be made righteous, to be reconciled, to be brought into a right relationship with God. And by sin, we don't have a right relationship. And so, yeah, we're, we're going to beat that dead horse because that's what we need. Yeah, everything centers on that that confession of that we are justified by Christ, through Christ's sacrifice. Um, and this is the scriptural position. This is not a position in which we uh, we reason out in our minds uh, or, or one that comes by um, by any other uh, other way than, than by what the Lord tells us in his word. Absolutely. This process, though, um, e- even though it feels like beating a dead horse, I mean, I- as long as this section is, 
um, that's what I like about it, the, the the summary. Um, just looking at the headlines, if you have the reader's edition, just the, the dark print, if you look at it, it, it shows really what a beautiful process there is here. It's not um, it's not just repetition. It's it's a systematic approach. Um, I mean, they genuinely wanted to make their case and, and show that it agrees with the church fathers. It, it clearly it agrees with the scriptures. And and yes, here are your arguments, and we're going to deal with each one of them. Here are the passages you look at. We're going to deal with each one of them, and that takes a long time. Thank God they did it for us. It's a wonderful tool for our church. Yeah, and and sometimes I wonder if if. Uh... You know, in our modern culture, we feel like we've gotten away from having to do these. We we, we get so feeling and emotion oriented. You know, well, I feel this is right, and and our uh, sin ridden hearts so comfortably take us that direction. But uh, we need to do more of this in the church. Is my my position. You know, this is uh, this is how you have right arguments in a, in a very good, sound way, uh, logical way, and uh, you know, defend your case. And I'll I'll have a lot of respect for you. Even if I disagree with you, if if you're defending it, you know from from such reasonable ways, and that's and that's why they get so detailed. Well, well stated, gentlemen. Uh, but uh, as we get into the section that we're uh, dealing with today, uh, uh, we're picking up, as I said, at paragraph 85 or 206, depending on which uh, version you have there. Um, but uh, to give a because it's flowing forth in this argument here uh, that we're replying to the adversary's arguments, and just previous to this uh, in paragraphs 200. And 205, 204 and 205, uh, they've been making the case that, uh, you know, people have seen the works of the saints. And this is a big deal in the Middle, middle Ages and for some of the Church of Rome still today. Um, but they see the works of the saints and they think that by them they merited God's favor. That is, that somehow these saints uh, were more worthy Christians because of these great works that they did. And so the church in Rome was teaching that they think that, you know, also they too, by their works, might merit God's favor, that you would be better for them. Uh, And they said, we condemn this idea that uh, works have any merit for our justification. Uh, And of course, that obscures the glory of Christ. There's no peace for the anxious conscience and such things. And so that's where we're picking up. And uh, I'm going to take a larger chunk here in a second. But uh, as I start here, I just want to read the first line. Uh, of paragraph 85 or 206. Furthermore, this godless opinion about works always has existed in the world. <laughs> Lot said right there in one line. All right, who wants to, to jump in there? Well, certainly, uh, the this, uh, this idea is our natural way of thinking, is that uh, by our sinful nature, we by nature think that there is something that I have to do in order to get into God's good graces, that there is something that, that I need to fulfill. Um, and, and so um, this is by nature the way we would think, we would assume, without having first looked at to what God says in his word. Um, and because we know that this is the way I, or, or that I know this is the way that I by nature think, I, I guard against it because I remember I know Scripture. But the world out there uh, around us uh, does not realize that the Scriptures speak otherwise. And so they, they have this confidence that their theology, their, their self, uh, their good works uh, that they have inside of them is something to place their confidence in. And it's just all around us. Uh, I mean, we can we can talk about all kinds of different things, but uh, I, I don't know if you've seen this movie called Tears of the Sun. Mm, 
Yeah. Bruce Willis. Yeah. Uh, they they're they're helping these people escape uh, some bad guys who are who are out to to kill them uh, in the jungle, and they're leading these people to to safety, and they are they're uh, even willing to put their lives on the line in order to uh, to save these people. It's it's wonderful, uh, wonderfully heroic thing that they're doing. Um, and then they gets close to the end, and they realize that they're probably going to have to pay with their life in order to get to succeed in in doing this, and uh, and they kind of come together. These soldiers come together, and they they're talking. And they said, uh, "For our sins, whoa!" <laughs> I'm like, "No, yeah. <laughs> you destroyed it all." Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. If yeah. if they believe that that by their doing this uh, uh, grants them forgiveness of their sins, uh, they misunderstand uh, and find no use in Christ. Then Christ is. Had no need of going to the to the cross then, if that's how their sins are forgiven. And, and it's a really a tough tension. I think that's a great example you give, um, because here they're Navy SEALs in that movie, yeah, right? You right, know, and they're right. doing a good thing. We need them to do what they're Absolutely. doing. They're saving uh, helpless, defenseless people. Absolutely, uh, we need them to do that work, and we need heroes. Yeah. It inspires us. Yeah. Um, and and especially as has always kind of been the tension, we have the heroes of the Christian faith, and we should. Be encouraged by them. I love looking to some of the saints. We'll call them saints in the Lutheran Church, and uh, and, and we'll point out on commemoration of Saint Days. You know the things that they did and so forth. It didn't save them, and and that's where you know sometimes uh, I'm sure you guys have encountered this as Lutheran pastors as well. When you try to talk about that, um, you know they think, oh well, he's a closet Catholic. You know he really wants to worship the saints, and we don't do that. And I'm like, I'm not worshiping him. I, I I'm not trusting in him or his works did not save him, but it it has its place as a hero of the faith. Yeah, to inspire right. me, and and especially uh, as men in the church, you know, we're we're given for battle, and so we need that inspiration to go f- forth and fight that, you know, uh, to hold on the confession. Um, but uh, at the same time, you know, you can fall off to the other side, and that's clearly what was going on at Rome right. was that they were looking at that and and being inspired, but then also pointing to it as you need to be like that. And uh, and then they jump right in here with this line. It's always been that way, and that's where we're going next. Pastor yeah. Sims, you gotta. Yeah, well, you know, and I, you know, we talked a little bit, and uh, and it, we talked about how there's a process here. We also talked a little bit about it being a little bit redundant. I, there's not necessarily, even, maybe it's not quite as redundant we might as we might think, because there's a logical process. And yet, in some ways, there's not anything wrong with it being redundant. We constantly preach Christ crucified for our justification. Uh, because we need to hear that because we by nature go in this direction of thinking that I'm going to somehow make the scales even by something I do. And it is, and I'm reminded of this, uh, and I always have been uh, in the in the short amount of time I've been a pastor, whether you're, oftentimes, whether you're talking with someone who is uh, very old, maybe he's been Missouri Synod Lutheran their whole life, uh, or maybe they're, they've just completed new member class. When you bring up the question from Luther's 20 questions, whether it's formally in examination or just in a talk of faith at the bedside uh, as they're getting close to death, um, you know, why uh, should God look at you as righteous? And it, it so often it comes back as, well, I've tried really hard to do the right things. And... Great, I'm glad you have, but if that's what you're clinging to, that will never 
get you there. Uh, and so we need to hear over and over again that it's Christ through his death for our sake that makes us right in the eyes of God, not some sort of tipping the scales that makes up for our sins. Hoo-ha. Mm, right? Right, right. Um, and, so, uh, uh, and so that's a difficult thing for us to to keep and to continue to cling to because our, our sinful nature continually wants to go back to that. So that's why right. we do need to hear it over and over right. again. And we know, of course, it's the spirit that brings us to trust and believe in that. And the spirit uses word, uses the gospel to get us to constantly see Christ as the one who makes us righteous, not what we're doing. So it is a timeless struggle, but it's one that's uh, overcome by Christ as we're brought to faith in him. Yeah. And uh, and so that's uh, that's that first line there. So yeah, again, one a, line. Crazy. a reminder yeah. that uh, you know uh, at, at at the time of the Reformation there was the teaching in Rome, and it's still present there to some extent today in the church in Rome. Um, and well, actually, a good bit that they would look to the works of the saints and think that by them they merited God's favor. And so they say this this opinion really has existed in the world always, you know, since the fall of man into sin. So now I'm going to take a larger chunk here and, and kind of, they're going to show how this is present even there in the Old Testament. So picking up again, uh, paragraph 85 or 206 there in the Apology. Furthermore, this godless opinion about works always has existed in the world. The heathen had sacrifices derived from the fathers. They imitated their works. They did not maintain their faith, but thought that the works were an atonement and price by which God would be reconciled to them. The people in the law, the Israelites, imitated sacrifices with the opinion that they would appease God by means of these works, so to say, ex opere operato, that is, by the doing of the work, uh, to translate that Latin there. We see here how seriously the prophets rebuke people. Psalm 50, verse 8. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. And Jeremiah 7, 22. I did not speak to your fathers or command them concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. Such passages do not condemn works, which God certainly had commanded at his outward exercises in this government. They condemn the godless opinion that people thought that by their works they appeased God's wrath and so cast away faith. All right, that, I'm, I'm going to stop there. I, I think that last little section there, especially, let's talk about the examples he gives, um, how it's been there in the Old Testament, but then also, you know, what their thinking is. Uh, Pastor Hopmeyer, you want to jump in? Yeah, the thinking is, is that uh, by them doing this thing, uh, by going by going up on a hill and, and uh, uh, doing the thing, say, as you said, ex opera operato, or by the doing of it, they thought that this was the way that they were going to become right with God, or this is what God uh, required. Um, this is, uh, this is, as we were talking about before, this is the way people have always thought that, that this was... Um, this is how we got good with God, or how how we became reconciled to God. So, so just as the Church in Rome at that time in the Middle Ages is looking to the saints and they're teaching this, uh, so also they looked to those great prophets, those great heroes in the Old Testament uh, in the old days too. And and this is clearly rebuked in Scripture. Um, wh- well, what's the problem there, Pastor Weist? Um, I mean, God clearly commanded that they offer sacrifices and that they do these sorts of things. What, what's the problem with uh, what's going on there? What, what's the rebuke in the Old Testament? Oh, I, this, 
the timeless struggle that you were talking about before. Um, I I must appease God. Um, what a what a relief to hear it just plainly said here. That's just wrong thinking. Um, no, <laughs> no, you don't, and you can't. Um, and I, what what I really like in this section, um, it was towards the end of what you read, where you talked about them casting away faith. Um, the the idea of of um, I mean, I, there's nothing wrong per se with with imitation, but he's talking about imitating work um, and abandoning faith, um, work without faith, um, and that's really the the. It seems to me, and you see it even more as it goes along, that that the, the idea here is is um, that they've they've put those two things um, of the people's works and their faith in Christ in in, in opposition, and and they're saying that work needs needs to be the the, the main thing um, that, that it justifies, and and it doesn't. Um, we 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 look at our works in a completely different way. Um, we don't we don't ask ourselves what must I do to appease God. Um, when we talk about works, we're talking about loving our neighbor, not trying to appease God. Um, so I, th- it's interesting to see where he goes with this, I think, where, where we, um, um, I don't want to say it. we, I like where he goes with this in terms of talking about imitation, um, and maybe somebody else can talk more because I'm kind of struggling with it, but, but imitating work, um, and, and how, um, we've got to be careful when we, we, we imitate that that we not ultimately abandon our faith in Christ. Uh, but uh, maybe somebody can be a little more eloquent than I'm being with it. I, I love the, the, what he's saying here. I just don't know how to say it. Yeah, I, even in the Old Testament, you know, that these works clearly are commanded. God wants them to do them. Right. But it's it's where do you find your your uh, comfort that you're right with God? You know, and and to me. If I'm writing this, if I'm Philip Melanchthon uh, writing this uh, apology, I probably cite right here Romans 4. Romans 4 is really all about this, right? And, and Genesis 5, 6 as well, you know, that Abraham was justified by his faith in God. That's what saved him. That's what made him right with God. And that's what brought him to to renounce, I mean, his his fathers uh, were idol worshipers, and that's what brought him to denounce those things, to do the things that God commanded, to trust God's promises, um, was faith formed these uh, obedience to God's promises, not the other way around. It wasn't in his doing of his works. And so this was obscured and misunderstood, even in the Old Testament. And clearly this is rebuked. I, I love the line in there. God certainly had commanded as that word exercises in this government. They condemned the godless opinion that people thought that by their works they appeased God's wrath. And so they cast away faith. Once again, as they've earlier said, you make Christ for nothing. Um, but, and, and I don't know, Pastor Sims, I, I encounter this still a lot uh, today, you know, that they, they're looking to the end goal and they're like, pastor, that's great. But like in the end, God still wants us to do these good things. So w- does it really matter if my mindset's right about it? Does it really matter, you know, if I, if I get the whole order of things right, uh, and, and how this works, what, what would be your response to such a thing? Well, I would simply say, uh, that, the difference is, do we do things so that we can appease God or we, or do we do these things because we know that God is working through them for our sake? And there is quite a big difference. Matter of fact, that's the difference between almost every religion on the planet and the true Christian faith is people doing something to appease or find favor with God 
versus God doing something to bring himself to them, to save them, to make them righteous and forgive them. That's Christianity. And that actually, we can look back to that Old Testament sacrificial system and see that already, that God was doing something. And so when they did those things, that was still God instituted that for their sake so that he could do something for them, not necessarily the other way around. And that, of course, also ultimately points us to Jesus and his sacrifice. And then we could look to the sacraments even now where we do these things. And yes, we do them because God said to do them. But we do them because God has promised to be present in them, in Jesus Christ, to give us forgiveness, life, and salvation. Yeah, I love I love the fact that you point, as we Lutherans always do, right right there to Jesus. That's really what this is about, uh, right? Uh, the, the focus of the Old Testament was the coming Messiah. These Old Testament sacrifices were an image of what was to come in the Christ who was born Jesus. Pastor Hopmeyer, you want to jump in? Yeah, you know, all this points us to understanding that, you know, are we, uh, does the Lord really point to these works, you know, as, as uh, like these sacrifices that they were doing, or was God wanting to direct them upon him, to direct his people's eyes upon him? And that's where the point of faith is, is that we look to to God. Uh, but if these things are, are ways that we earn our are uh, are standing before God uh, these ways, uh, as it says, cast away faith, in which we don't look to God and we don't look to Christ. Christ is is not necessary if if uh, and we don't focus ourselves on Christ. So um, so these are are ways that um, you know these works just don't uh, do not they're not meant to be in and of themselves the things that we are to, to look to. All right. Great thought. Uh, we're going to go ahead and head to break there. We'll catch you back here after a quick break. All right. We are back uh, here. Sorry, the, the going Technical to break did not work. <laughs> going to break broke. Apparently, we yeah. were not intended to yeah. go to this, break. This, yeah. this is okay. We can keep talking. <laughs> that was bad radio. Sorry about the dead air out there, listeners. Uh, we intended to go to break, but then the computer just decided it wasn't going to let us. And uh, so we are back here. Uh, we're going to keep talking about Jesus, uh, which is okay by us. Uh, we'll take a break uh, whenever that may uh, uh, come to take work but uh, we were just talking about how indeed we this is really all pointing us to Jesus uh, and not to any of our works that we would find no comfort and that's a good place to pick up there paragraph 87 or 208 I'm gonna read some more there uh, because no works ease the conscience new works in addition to God's commands were made up from time to time the people of Israel had seen the prophets sacrificing on high places. Example, 1 Samuel 9, uh, verse 10 through 14, and also verse 19. Besides, the examples of the saints very greatly moved the minds of people who hoped to obtain grace by similar works, just as these saints received it. Therefore, the people began with remarkable zeal to imitate their work in order that by such work they might merit forgiveness of sins, grace, and righteousness. But the prophets had been sacrificing on high places, not so that they might merit forgiveness of sins and grace by these works, but because they taught on these places. So they presented a testimony of their faith there. The people had heard that Abraham had sacrificed his son, Genesis 22. Therefore, they also, in order to appease God by a most cruel and difficult work, put their sons to death. Example, 2 Kings 16, verse 3. 
But Abraham did not sacrifice his son with the opinion that this work was a price and atoning work by which he was counted righteous. In a similar way, the Lord's... Well, actually, I'm going to stop there with the example just given there from Scripture of how they saw these examples, and they were they were going to mimic them. It was... Uh, I, I want to be kind and say it's with the best of intentions, perhaps, that they were... They were mimicking these things because they, but they had a wrong understanding. That's where the teaching really has to be sound. That's where you got to have the right teaching, Pastor Hotmeyer. Right, and and here again, it's it's uh, they're they're looking to the work itself and thinking just by the imitation uh, was where they would put their trust. And instead of looking to the Lord and and His Word and understanding uh, the sacrifice uh, behind it that the Lord uh, is doing and and the grace that He is giving. Uh, which is the real focus, and and Abraham here, you know what a what a great situation or what a great uh, example. Uh, Abraham was called by God to sacrifice his son, and of course, to us in in this day and age, we think, what kind of a God would ask, would tell us <laughs> to go sacrifice our son, right? Abraham, you know, really, are you going to do this? But Abraham. He did it, or he was he was willing to do it, um, and before uh, being uh, before uh, taking the knife to uh, to plunge down into the chest of his son, um, the Lord stopped him and provided a sacrifice. But but that is really getting at at what is going on here, in that the Lord, just as the Lord was was calling Abraham to not trust in his in him. His own reason, his own thoughts, his own his own desires, his own uh, way of, of thinking that he needs to to appease God. The Lord uh, showed him that he needed to listen to His word and His word only. Yeah, I, I love how they point out here that you know it's a testimony to their faith. They're right. trusting the promise of God right. that He won't forsake them; that He will bring the ultimate atoning sacrifice forth in the Messiah. And that the sacrifices, that, especially that they were commanding the Old Testament to offer, they're trusting the promise of that future Messiah. And by that testimony of faith, they're teaching. And the reality is, is that it is false teachers that that lead you to other thinking about these sorts of things. And, and I love kind of the subtle thing that they're doing here in the apology and making this argument. They're saying, you know, it's, it's by that you know, they're, they're making a testimony of their faith and the things that they did. Same thing with the saints, right? Um, but you false teachers, <laughs> you have confused the people. And so they're doing things that really do nothing for them. And that's really quite dangerous. Pastor Weiss, you want to jump in there? Yeah. Um, when he's talking about imitation, he's talking about imitating or copying the work of the faithful without faith. Um, and that doesn't work. And one of the things he introduces in what you read, and he'll 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 develop in the coming paragraphs, is you know people get that even though they may not know why. So so they're copying the work of the faithful without faith, hoping that their their works will justify them. The works will bring them some sort of comfort, some sort of peace. It doesn't work. And guess what follows? Innovation. Um, they add new things, more and more new things. And and guess what happens with those? Those works don't um, ultimately justify them or grant them the, the comfort and the security, the assurance that they need either. Um, I'm I'm only just coming to realize I 
I used to think of innovation as, as nothing but a positive word, and, and I see it more and more as not always negative by any means, but but I'm, I'm cautious um, when I have that, that urge to innovate. I think I need to <laughs> explore why, um, because um, sometimes I think it does come from a, a sense of dissatisfaction, and, and, and I, I love how, how this explains that. Um, or at least some of the reason for for that desire for innovation. If it's because I feel like I'm missing something, I I may need to kind of reevaluate um, what I'm thinking. Yeah, what does that communicate? You know, like that Christ's work wasn't enough, and that's really been their point for quite a quite a while now. Is that what you're teaching says that Christ's glory? What Christ has done is not enough, right. and that you have to innovate. You have to add to it. And I love that and innovation uh, is quite a word for today. It really is, and and we're going to jump in into it here uh, in in sense of today because I love what you said up there, Pastor Weist, that uh, that there's this imitation and innovation, and that's really I'm just going to keep reading now with uh, paragraph 89 because this really does give an example of this time, and then we'll we'll talk about how it's still. Uh, there's nothing new under the sun. This, op- this godless opinion still exists even today. Uh, picking up with paragraph 89 or 210 there. In a similar way, the Lord's Supper was instituted in the church. So by remembering Christ's promises about which we are taught in this sacrament, faith would be strengthened in us. And we would publicly publicly confess our faith and proclaim Christ's benefits, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. But our adversaries contend that the mass is a work that justifies us by the outward work, ex opere operato, and removes the guilt and liability to punishment in those for whom it is celebrated. That's what Gabriel Beale writes. And that's, yeah, once again, uh, we're going to head to break now. I think we got things working, but uh, we'll come back to this thought of uh, uh, imitation and innovation. It's good that God commanded this and that we should uh, follow these things, but we're tempted to innovate. We'll catch you on the other side of the break here. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Kelly Schumacher, artist and founder of Unused Dei Liturgical Arts, offers group and private lessons in classical art education that focus on old master's oil painting techniques and drawing that glorify God and are based on the fundamental principles of art and art history. Youth and adult lessons are available. UnusedDeiArts.com. That's A-G-N-U-S-D-E-I-Arts.com. Friday's guest on Let's Talk, the pastor is in, is Andrew Price from Trinity Lutheran Church in Gutenberg and St. Paul Lutheran Church in McGregor, Iowa. Pastor Price joins me, Kip Allen, on the front porch for a casual chat. You can join us. Call at area code 314-821-0850 in the St. Louis area or 800-730-2727 anywhere in North America. Let's Talk, Friday, 2 p.m. Central Time on Worldwide KFUO. Worldwide KFUO is faithful to the Holy Scriptures. Our talk programs, music programs, and worship services focus on the message of salvation through Christ. Generations of families have confidence in KFUO to proclaim a clear, unwavering message of Christ crucified for sins. Faithful, scriptural, Lutheran. 
We are Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. I deserve a reward. After all, I found our dream house. Have a pickle. Thanks. But I found out how much the house was going to cost. Pass the jar. But I found us the perfect mortgage. But then I found out the house had radon. Blew. The radioactive gas that's the second leading cause of lung cancer. Yeah, well, I need mm, two pickles. I found the phone number to call. 1-800-SOS-RADON, where you can get all the information you need to test your home and fix a radon problem. Mm, no. I'd like some ice cream with this pickle. Are you trying to tell me something? Protect your family from radon. Call 1-800-SOS-RADON. 1-800-SOS-RADON. How much do you know about the Old Testament? It's the question Brent Strong, Emory University professor of Old Testament, is asking in his new book, The Old Testament is Dying, a Diagnosis and Recommended Treatment. Analyzing 879 sermons, published in a collection called Best Sermons, he discovered only 21% were sermons from the Old Testament, down from years previous. In a 2010 Pew Forum survey, just 55% of Americans knew the Golden Rule wasn't one of the Ten Commandments. Mark Brettler, professor of Judaic Studies at Duke University, disagrees with Strawn's hypothesis. He maintains there's not enough data to prove Bible knowledge is dying. He says it reminds him of Mark Twain's famous quote, reports of my death have been greatly exaggerated. Engage with the Bible in its impact and influence over the centuries. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. Hi, and welcome back to Concord Matters. I am Pastor Sean Smith, and I am here in studio today with Pastor Tim Sims, Pastor Tyler Hopmeyer, and on the phone with us is Pastor David Wiest. And we have been continuing our discussion of this great chief article of Christian doctrine and getting into some meaty stuff about um, how there's this imitation of good works that we see. They inspire us. There's They're commanded by God. There's, there's good aspects to it. But, uh, but without the proper understanding, without the proper faith, trust, ultimately it becomes a first commandment issue. Without the proper trust in Christ and his word of promise that he has saved you, uh, it really leads to something that gives you no hope. And I just read a section before break there, this break that actually worked. Uh, and sorry again about our dead air earlier. Uh, uh, that break did not work. Um, but uh, uh, just before our break that we just took here, uh, we were reading about the Lord's Supper. Well, this is something that the Lord himself instituted. All right. This is clearly a command, uh, not in the reform sense of it's an ordinance, you know, right, something right. that we follow, but but clearly a command from Christ that we should follow. We should do this. It has benefit for us. We for, receive forgiveness, life, salvation, uh, as we learn in the small catechism. And uh, but but ultimately, uh, it can be turned into something that gives you no hope. And that's what he points out the adversaries has done the adversaries have done here is that they have uh, taught just by the mere doing of things. Uh, Pastor Sims, you want to jump in with a comment here? Oh sure. Um, you know it, I think looking at uh, you, you touched on very well there, the issue with the time seems to be that you go and do this to show love toward God and it somehow merits you salvation, which kind of turns the Lord's Supper on its head. As far as it's not that, it's actually the Lord coming to you to do something for you, as you said, to give forgiveness, life, and salvation. It's not a work of love that they were doing, 
by going to the sacrament. It's a work of love that God is doing, and, and it's God's work of love affecting uh, us to love others. And, uh, and so sometimes we may still struggle with this a little bit. Um, your sins are not forgiven uh, because you came to church and you went to communion. Uh, your sins are forgiven. And I should say ours, because you know we all struggle with this, myself included. Uh, our sins are not forgiven because we went to church and took the Lord's Supper. Our sins are forgiven because Jesus came there, and while we were there, He gave us His very body and blood to give us forgiveness, life, and salvation. As you said, um, I think possibly uh, within our own cultural context in Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, we probably don't struggle with that as much. Uh, as maybe was the struggle then, although it may still be there sometimes. Maybe the other struggle now is that, okay, great, but, you know, dot, dot, dot. So Jesus came to me in the Lord's Supper, but, you know, you know, you go to the Lord's Supper and it's like a stale cracker and you get some cheap wine and it's really not all that. It doesn't feel or seem like all that anyway. And so then maybe our temptation is to innovate or think we need more. Well, okay, that's great, but what more can I do or have that'll make me feel more fulfilled in my relationship with God or what have you? And yet, that's the miracle of the sacrament to begin with. Jesus coming in humble, simple means giving us forgiveness, life, and salvation. It's the most exciting thing that could ever happen to us, but yet it happens in the most unexciting way. And so that's maybe why we struggle with it so much. Yeah, you make a great point not to completely derail and sidetrack us here. We could certainly uh, yeah. innovate in the church by upgrading uh, from the stale crackers and the poor communion wine. Yeah, I think we, we could all do talk better. Talk with St. Louis Bread Company uh, yeah, about yeah, something. But, uh, <laughs> make, make our own solid good yeah, wines yeah. and yeah, things yeah, again. Yeah, but but no, uh, but certainly there's this mentality once again. Uh, and I would argue, actually, there are still some that think this as well. You know, just by by coming and sitting in the pew on Sunday, I've done what I need to do, right? Uh, and, and it's really not about you at all. It's where you're running to find hope. There's also something going on at the time of the Reformation where they were paying for these sacrifices. Pastor Hopmeyer. Yeah, and I think that's what it's implying here is that uh, that at one time uh, the, the Lord's Supper was being done rightly in the church, but now uh, an innovation has come in where now it's it's being done under the thoughts of ex opera operato, and uh, that it removes the guilt and liability of punishment uh, uh, just by its doing, which uh, uh, I think he's he's making the point that that uh, this is an innovation, and and therefore the Reformation is a conservative, or 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 his uh, what Martin Luther's work is is doing here is is a conservative movement in which we're trying to get back to uh, the way that it was before, back before the innovation. Indeed. To what the Lord had truly instituted when he instituted exactly. the supper. Pastor Weiss, you want to jump in? Yeah, I think as, as we you know use the Latin, as we talk about out, outward acts and things like that, uh, one of the things that helps me keep it clear is just a couple of simple questions. And it goes back to, to that very first sentence that we looked at um, and that, that timeless struggle. Um, who in this um, and and you, you, you said this before, but I think the question helps clarify it for me. Um, who is appeasing God um, as I take the Lord's Supper, as I participate in that? Who is appeasing God? And the, the answer is, 
of course, Christ. I, I think, you know, we're talking about people sitting in the pew today, and I think maybe a question they need to be able to answer is, um, as they, they look at that bread and wine, how does this appease God? And and I, it does seem to me, and this is anecdotal, but it does seem to me that there's a trend um, towards um, perhaps why we see decline in worship attendance, at least in part, is because um, it does not seem reasonable to think that I am really doing anything um, for God um, by taking that bread and wine, um, by singing hymns. Um, how does this appease God? How does this make a difference? Um, so you, you sort of see a trend towards um, maybe people are eager to go out into the world and try to make it a better place or something like that. And to them, that seems like something that would be more pleasing or appeasing even to, to God, whereas they don't see the value of the bread and wine, because all they've been doing is imitating, and they haven't really, um, they haven't, faith hasn't been a part of it, understanding of, of the, the, you know, the body and blood of Christ given to you for the Christ is coming to appease. Um, I don't think they get that sometimes. So I think those questions, who is appeasing God and, and how does this appease God, our, our, our folks in the pews have to be able to answer those questions. You bring up a great point there. You know, uh, the, the, the teaching really is central. What's going on here? Who, who is doing the work here? And we have to understand that because this can really fall off in so many different ways. At the time of the Reformation, you know, by the mere work of the priests doing it, I mean, it was a spectator sport is what it turned into. You would walk in, there weren't really pews in a lot of the medieval cathedrals. You'd walk in, there's all these side altars. You walk around and you could pay for a priest to say a mass and just sit there and watch them do it, you know, and he, all day long, you know. I not even have to be there. Yeah, you yeah. may not even have to be there yeah. and you can actually still do this. Uh, there was there was an abbey, uh, actually not far from you, right there uh, in uh, southern Indiana, Pastor Weiss, when I was over that direction. Uh, there's the abbey over there, and uh, you can still go pay for masses to be said. And uh, it's it's really quite interesting that this is still around today. Um, but, you know, and, and, and we can be tempted, you know, uh, just by so many different things, you know, whether it be our our inspiration to go out and do good works. And we're going to deal this with the passages that the adversaries misuse, you know, that we are to, to imitate Christ, you know, but, but it's my hope and my ability to imitate Christ. Um, or, you know, it can fall off in another direction that by, by the reverence that the pastor has in doing the Lord's supper, you know, that I receive such hope there, or, you know, uh, there's so many directions that this can fall off into. And what we need to recognize and I'm, I'm certainly not slamming that we'd be reverent when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And I'm certainly not slamming that we do good works, that we would be inspired in faith towards God and in fervent love toward our neighbor as we pray in the post-communion collect. You know, all of these things are good. But if we have our mindset wrong, if we have the wrong teaching, mm -hmm. then we fall off into something that ultimately gives us no hope. Pastor Hotmeyer. Well, I think Pastor Weiss was wanting to talk there. Oh, okay, Pastor Weiss, jump in. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I, I think it comes, and we haven't gotten to this part yet, but a, a few lines, that, I don't know, I don't have it right in front of me, but a few lines down, it, it talks about easing the conscience. And it gets to that innovation thing again. I, I, I Again, as, as pastors, I mean, we're all pastors. As pastors, we need to understand that, that and part of it is helping people understand what's going on, but the reason, I mean, it's not just imparting knowledge. We're, we, we have the opportunity with this good news to appease consciences, and 
And the reason for all this innovation is because people are trying to copy, they're trying to imitate, um, and it, it's not helping. It's not helping ease their conscience. They don't see in any way. That it, I mean, they're being reasonable. How is God appeased by this? My works are imperfect. What does this even have to do? Why does God care about this? I, I'm not sure that people have the answers to this. And, and, and what this part of the Book of Concord does is it, it, it's wonderful because it actually eases the conscience. Um, it says that you can, you can set aside that timeless struggle. You do not have to appease God. Christ has, has appeased God, and, and he comes in this bread and wine. You know, relax. <laughs> be at peace. Um, let your conscience be eased. And, and, and then we can talk about all of these opportunities to do good works. But, but later on we'll see this. This quote is great. Conscience, however, cannot be eased before God unless through faith alone. You know, and that's what we're working toward here, I think, is that line. Yeah, absolutely. And it really even takes us back to as well, uh, back at paragraph 82 and several other places in this article, and there's still some more to come, that we repeat again and again. It comes up in the formula of Concord as well, uh, later uh, in the book of Concord. Uh, but in this way, good works ought to follow faith. The order really does matter. I mean, and, and it's true. There's definitely the fundamental teachings of Scripture that there is faith, justification, and what we call regeneration. You know, that we live the life, the born again life in the Spirit. You know, uh, negative connotations to those faith. words. Uh, we live a life of faith, doing good works, doing what we're commanded by God, agreeing, confessing our sins when when we fail to live that way, uh, and and being uh, renewed again and strengthened by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to do these good things. Um, but we often misunderstand the the order of these things, or we try to create such an order that we we realize that these things are really simultaneous. They're going on constantly, all at the same time. It's a constant work, all three together. Um, but uh, certainly, and, and and we've talked about this earlier. The the main point uh, earlier in the show, maybe a couple months ago, actually, uh, there was this Latin word that showed up: foams. You know, the faith formed by love. You know, and that's the central argument. For our adversaries is that my love, you know, is a sign of my faith and it's going to be formed by by my loving works that I do, these good works that I do. Um, but for we as Lutherans, we're confessing what Scripture says. We're same saying with Scripture and we're saying, no, because my faith runs to Christ to find consolation for my burdened conscience and finds hope there, finds peace there. Of course I'm going to love. Of course these good works are going to follow. They're going to want to be there. Pastor Sims, you want to talk about that? Well, I would actually, if it's okay, I think that's a great segue to the next part as we look at some of these monastics. Okay. Well, if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Uh, so picking up with paragraph 90 or 211 there, uh, depending on your um, uh, version there, uh, I'll continue reading. Anthony, Bernard, Dominic, Francis, and other Holy Fathers selected a certain kind of life, either for the sake of study or other useful exercises. In the meantime, they believed that by faith they were counted righteous for Christ's sake, and that God was gracious to them, not because of their own exercises, but the multitude, since they then has imitated not the faith of the Fathers, but their example without faith. By such works, the multitude thought that they might merit forgiveness of sins, grace, and righteousness. They did not believe that they received these freely on account of Christ as the atoning sacrifice. Pastor Sims, with about a minute left to go, 
Okay. Well, you know, I think this is great, and maybe not so much in in, uh, in Melanchthon's context, but I think it's great. How many, when we read Anthony or Bernard or Dominic or Francis today, would think, oh, yeah, saints that uh, that Lutherans commonly look to? <laughs> <laughs> we don't. We always consider them to be Roman Catholic saints. Uh, and yet, what's being made clear here is that as they started their orders, the point of the order was to respond in faith by showing love to others because of what Christ has done, not to somehow merit salvation by what they were doing uh, in their orders. Pastor Hotmeyer, closing thoughts. Yeah, the saints, well, in, in getting along that idea that the saints are, are our heritage in that uh, they first came uh, showing us what the life of faith is, uh, but since then uh, an innovation has taken us away from what uh, our saints have uh, uh or those predecessors have have shown us to be uh, the right uh, act, uh, living in faith. Uh, now uh, they have taken us away from pointing us to to faith in God and God's word, and and towards the acts themselves. Right, and and probably Saint Francis of Assisi is the chief one of this. I mean, who of us would think of him pointing to Christ anymore? Uh, because we see so commonly in our culture, and, and as has been abused over time, you know, he's he's the nature guy, you know, with the birds all around him. Uh, great thoughts there. Thanks to my brothers for joining us uh, today. Uh, Pastor to Tim Sims, Pastor What's Tyler Hotmeyer, Pastor Wiest. Privilege, thank you. Uh, and uh, thank you uh, for stopping by and listening to our show today. And keep confessing, church.